Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. Welcome to Spotlight on the State Capitol. My friend Jack Williams is here to to, to discuss the uh, the week the week in Albany. So, Jack, how many days were you up here? I came up on Memorial Day on Monday, and they came in the session. The uh, Fox or had committee committee hearings or committee meetings the uh, first day, Tuesday, and then um, both chambers reconvened on Wednesday and Thursday and passed a whole bunch of bills to address the uh, COVID-19 crisis. So what exactly was passed? I, I beg your pardon? I said, what exactly was passed in regards to the coronavirus? Probably the biggest bill that moved forward was this um, rental assistance program proposed by um, State Senator Brian Kavanaugh. You know, it, it disappointed a lot of people on the left because it didn't go as far as this cancel rent idea. Um, that bill appears to be stalled. But they did pass that. They codified a lot of the executive orders that Governor Cuomo has issued during the public health emergency, including things like the ban on masks, repealing the ban on masks. That was actually a really old um, law, you know, 1845, no less. Wow. Wow. So was everybody up here or? What did the what did the demographics look like? Well, it was a, a lot like the budget process. There was a core cadre of staff and lawmakers, the respective legislative floor leaders in each chamber, and then a few um, other legis- you know legislators would come and go if they wanted to speak on a bill. It was a little bit different in the state assembly where people were actually debating via video link, but in the state senate, people had to come in if they wanted to. Um, actually debate a bill, explain their votes, um, but all in all, you know, all but maybe um, a very small core group of state lawmakers were actually in the legislative chambers. More were in the legislative office building across the street uh, from the state capitol, but mm-hmm. most of them were still back there in their districts. And they would do everything via the internet? Yeah, they would be on Zoom, and that's how they would cast their votes. Every now and again, you could hear the clerk in each um, legislative chamber kind of reference the need to actually see somebody on the video feed while they cast their vote, just to make doubly sure that it was the actual lawmaker making a vote. Um, So it was really something different, uh, something that had never been done in New York State uh, legislative history, although the city council down here in New York City has been doing it for um, some weeks now. You know, everything's changed. Uh, People who want to have meetings are on Zoom and stuff. So what happened in Albany and also in the city council in New York City and also up here in Albany with Zoom, do you think that's going to be the wave of the future? Do you think there'll be more stuff on on the internet where people can look at what's going on rather than uh, them physically being up here for a couple of days? And if so, that's going to really hurt the economy of the Albany area, wouldn't you say? 
Well, everywhere is certainly suffering uh, in terms of the economic um, effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but here in New York City, while we speak, you know, Friday evening, we actually have, you know, a pretty big protest forming in lower Manhattan against the recent um, police shooting in Minneapolis, as well as kind of the the, the general um, disproportionate impact of the pandemic and, you know, law enforcement um, in recent years, it's all coming back kind of full circle in a lot of ways. You know, this is really the first big story, for, you know, for um, us reporters here in New York City that w- didn't have to do with the pandemic in something like three months now. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of incredible how much things have changed. You know, we'll see probably a lot more virtual meetings in the future, um, you know, a lot less, uh, a lot fewer people actually working you know, um, in their offices. But at the same time, it looks like New York City, once again, is going to be moving forward. And, you know, we'll see what the future holds in terms of the economy. Do you think it's been, of course, it's been a drastic change, but do you think pretty people adapted pretty well to the changes so quickly? I mean, the legislators. You know, I think all in all, um, lawmakers were pretty satisfied. Um, You know, there still is a deadly pandemic around us. Um, You know, a lot of the lawmakers tend to be older folks. Some have underlying health conditions of one, um, you know, type or another. And others just wanted, you know, have really emphasized how much they want to be in their districts, helping people with unemployment claims, you know, distributing emergency food. Um, so I think all in all, the, the remote voting scheme, such as it was, um, you know, was, uh, you know, worked pretty seamlessly. You know, I didn't hear too many complaints. It looked like the wheels of democracy moved forward. And, you know, I think a lot of people were just glad to see the state legislature kind of stepping up, you know, getting more involved and in actually forming policy moving forward. So with, with so many people out of work, and with the the state budget, you know, how could how could the state budget accommodate everything that's going on? What's going on with with federal funds to the state? Well, you know, we all wish we could have been a fly on the wall of of the governor's meeting this week with President Donald Trump. Um, uh-huh. Ostensibly, it was to pitch um, long-stalled infrastructure projects like Gateway, the, those rail tunnels under the under the Hudson River. There was, you know, the Second Avenue subway. Curiously, the governor stuck to New York City projects for the most part. Although Trump later announced um, a huge grant to public transit in the Albany area just the other day. So. You know, in terms of getting federal funds, though, it's, it still has to be negotiated by federal lawmakers. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has, has said it's a red line that he wants a provision in a, any new stimulus bill that exempts um, businesses to a large part for any, you know, um, COVID-related uh, liability they might otherwise have, have had. The Democrats don't want to do that, but they also want to get hundreds of billions of dollars in aid for states and uh, local governments. And that's where, you know, the state budget right now really um, hinges because if there is not a, an infusion of at least several billion dollars into New York State, um, you know, some pretty big cuts are coming to public schools, 
hospitals, the healthcare system, and certainly local governments. So if this year's budget negotiations were pretty horrific, next year's budget uh, negotiations are going to be an actual horror, wouldn't you say? Well, I think at there is some truth to the idea that when you have no, when you have less money to spend, there's a little bit less worrying, right? <laughs> I know from my own experience, you know, if you don't have the money to spend, then the choices become a little bit easier. But I agree, things are going to be pretty contentious this time around. Um, the governor has said 20% cuts for public schools, healthcare, local governments, and that means a lot of people are going to be pushing hard to, you know avoid, you know, the, the brunt of that, you know, going into next year, you know, there could be a bigger democratic majority in the state Senate. That would be key in terms of the legislature having any real ability to assert itself over the governor, you know, such as it is right now, the governor has enormous power, not only from the constitution, but also the public health emergency itself. It's not going to expire on its own volition until next April. So, you know, the governor's, position via uh, the legislature is uh, enormous and will likely continue to be. Um, but at the same time, if you're a Democrat in the uh, state Senate, you're certainly crossing your fingers, hoping you get a two thirds majority. And that would mean a super majorities for the Dems in both chambers, which yeah, they could override his vetoes in the future. That would be a, a really interesting scenario to see. What makes you think that there's going to be more uh, Democratic state senators elected? Well, I'm of the mind that um, while the races down in the suburbs of New York City are really important, certainly the Democrats got to hold what they gained in 2018 in the Hudson Valley as well. But Rochester is where there's a lot of pickups. You know, um, state senators Richard Funky, Joe Robach, uh, Michael Ranzenhofer, whose district stretches uh, towards Buffalo, um, all have not chosen to run for election. They're one of, I think, nine Republican state senators that are not running for re-election. You know, um, obviously the GOP has no hopes of really recapturing that majority, um, you know, when they're already eight seats behind. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens in Rochester. I think that really could make or break. If they gain those three seats that I just mentioned, that would bring them up mm-hmm. to 43. That's all they need. That's a two-thirds majority plus one in a 63-seat chamber. So if, if there was a, a supermajority in the state Senate, then Cuomo's got to watch his P's and Q's, hoping that he, uh, the, he's not over the bills uh, are not overridden, right? Well, uh, you know, first of all, they're all the same party, right? You know, if we were talking about a Republican governor and a Democratic-controlled legislature, you know, there's going to be a lot more conflict. Um, But that said, there'll be plenty of disputes between the governor and the Democratic lawmakers. But, you know, um, Democrats in the state Senate especially are not monolithic. You've got the suburban senators. They tend to be a bit more moderate, as are some in the outer boroughs. Um, as well as in the Hudson Valley. So, you know, that gives you, uh, you know, good 10 Democratic senators, um, six on Long Island, and then I'm, I I think counting off the top of my head, uh, four in the Hudson Valley, but I need to double check, you know, mm-hmm. for a majority that's 40, that's a huge chunk. So, 
we've already seen Cuomo kind of play uh, some of the moderate senators off of the New York City um, delegation. But, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, uh, there haven't been a lot of Democratic senators from upstate beyond um, kind of some of the a few seats in, in, in Buffalo, Albany and Rochester. But if there's like, you know, if you double that, pick up three or four seats out there, that creates a whole other faction, I think, within um, the Democratic conference. So stuff like that is why political nerds like me get excited sometimes to just think how the power between um, the moderates and the lefties in any one chamber um, can kind of shift depending on um, all these different races across a pretty diverse state. Um. Nobody, nobody can really say definitely, but if Senator Bianchi had not beaten Jeff Klein, do you think things would be totally different as far as the Democrats in the state Senate are right now? Well, she was the first one in the uh, devious Democratic plan to to take out all the former IDC members, you know, the independent Demo- <laughs> Democratic conference folks that were conversing with the Republicans. Long story there, of course. But, you know, they there were eight of them. They, they eventually, um, you know, Michael Giannara, the deputy state Senate majority leader, you know, recruited Biagi. I remember there was an account of a, of a breakfast meeting where, you know, he was to meet the granddaughter of former representative uh, Mario Biagi, you know, right. and really kind of capitalize on that name recognition to kind of bring a, a young, um, telegenic, you know, candidate um, to life. You know, she had some experience in the governor's office, but was pretty still unknown um, and untested. But they also found other great candidates, too. You know, um, they ended up winning. There was, um, you know, Zellner Myrie here in Brooklyn, um, Rachel May up in Syracuse, you know, a lot of different types of candidates that met their districts really well. Of course, all those big wins on Long Island as well. Anna Kaplan, um, Kevin Thomas out, you know, um, won a very close race. So I wouldn't say it was all Biagi's doing, but she was kind of, I think, that, that first good candidate they recruited, um, you know, in this plan that really worked out pretty well for them. Um. I remember reading something about her where she said that her district was pretty hard hit with the coronavirus. Um, What other areas in New York City were pretty well devastated by the coronavirus? Well, way back when, um, a long, long time ago, as the before times were ending, the pandemic was that first um, that that healthcare worker that had traveled from Iran? She self-isolated, and then there was that attorney who um, you know lived in in Westchester County, and that's where it really spread from there in that area. And the outbreak in New Rochelle was really that time in mid March where we could see the the pandemic taking hold in a really you know at a whole new level. You know they had to bring in the National Guard to distribute food you know people had to stay at home uh, you know at that point it was really getting out of control and yeah that was right around uh, i believe that's in her district and i know it's an assemblywoman uh, in collins district she would actually come into the governor's um, briefing because to get information um, and maybe she didn't feel the governor's office was being communicated was communicating well enough but anyways 
she would come into the red room. I'd never seen a lawmaker do that before. Um, it was a, a pretty extraordinary time. The governor's daily briefings were still kind of a fresh thing. You know, he had only held three of them in like the past, you know, the, the months before that combined. So, um, you know, West Westchester County, yeah, was that, that first epicenter in the state, uh, hundreds of cases. And, you know, within uh, a month, it kind of shifted much more to the outer boroughs of New York City. But nonetheless, um, the numbers still are among the highest in Westchester County. Uh, compared to other counties in the state. Now, there were a, a few of the uh, elected officials who tested positive for the coronavirus, one being um, Charles Barron. There were a few more, right? Well, I think the person that really um, had the most concerning case was Republican State Senator Jim Seward. Um, I, I believe he was even on a ventilator at one point, but, you know, he had, he had had some other health problems as well, cancer. And, you know, he, to his credit, fought it off. And the last I heard, he was doing pretty well. Um, it was the recovery. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, of both parties were really um, pulling for the guy um, who, you know, has cultivated a pretty good relationship with lawmakers Um you know, but there were others. Um, Charles Barron, his wife, who's a New York uh, New York City um, council member, also um, tested positive. From what I understand, they didn't get too sick. Um, James Scoopus, Hudson Valley uh, Democratic State Senator, uh, recalled that it was uh, one of the, the, the worst illnesses he had ever had. So there was, um, you know, quite a few lawmakers uh, who did contract the vi- the virus. Luckily, um, as far as I know, um, all of them are doing um, A-OK at this point. But I read where um, Assemblyman Grotsky, he died from it, right? You're right. Um, The former Assemblyman, uh, you know, a, a huge voice in state politics. He would write columns for the Times Union and just, you know, um, you know, one of the big minds of um, what the state legislature should and could be. And he did pass away. And, you know, there was a lot of moving tributes to him. I was lucky enough to interact with him uh, from time to time. And in the last couple of years, when I first started covering state politics and um, always had, he always had something to say. Um, every, you know, some people would disagree with uh, how he sometimes called things, but just a very respected voice a true student of state politics. So do you think that the state uh, legislative legislature has wrapped up for the year? You know, I don't think they're done quite yet. Um, you know, one of the curious things about the New York state legislature is it's always technically in session. They never formally adjourn um, ever until the election and they're all sworn in again. Um, you know, the key things to, to look for is if, when the governor has to detail these uh, state budget cuts that he says are coming. He, his administration has said they would do it by the end of May, and we're just a few days out from that. Um, you know, sooner or later, they got it determined. They've already withheld over a billion dollars from local governments. Um, things are just really in the air. So um, once that happens, there's 10, day, there's 10 days for the state legislature to you know, pass their own plan. Otherwise, the governor's proposals automatically take effect. 
The second thing to look for is the April 20 is the June 23rd primary. I don't, you know, I think there's a fair chance that the state legislature is not going to meet again until then. Saves a lot of vulnerable incumbents uh, from making tricky votes um, right before they got to, you know, face the voters. Um, Mm -hmm. After that, though, I, you know, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty just said earlier today on Friday that they would um, respond to the governor's budget, you know, proposed cuts. So Mm -hmm. it's looking like uh, there might still be some action to be had up in the state capitol uh, through the summer. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I couldn't go over there and hobnob with anybody, right? Well, the state capitol is still closed to the public. Um, mm-hmm. That means that you either got to be one of the central staff that, you know, may, maintain an amazing people that have just been working through the whole thing, you know, uh, making sure that everything runs in there, um, you know, from cleaning the hallways uh, to uh, manning the security, everything, um, and the Dunkin' Donuts people, of course. Um, but other than that, you got your legislative staff, the gubernatorial staff, I don't know if I've seen any of the attorney general staff, but, you know, she has her offices up there as well. My impression, she's down uh, in New York City most of the time at her offices here. And then um, the LCA, the Legislative Correspondence Association, uh, I think that's about it um, in terms of the people that are allowed into the Capitol itself. If you're walking around, for the most part, the the people you mostly see are just, um, you know, the sergeant at arms in the assembly or the state senate. Um, kind of, you know, waiting, uh, holding the doors to the chambers uh, if and when, you know, the, the legislature is about to meet. Now, did you go into your office at the LC in, in the LCA room? I was up there. Uh, just my luck. The governor was down in New York City uh, the whole time, so I didn't get a chance to see him in the red room this time, but I was up there to see the state Senate and the assembly meet um, for three days or for two days plus committee meetings on Tuesday. And, you know, it was just kind of a lot like the state budget um, process uh, in, er, you know, late March, early April, um, pretty empty halls. But, um, you know, all in all, they are keeping the legislative machine uh, moving forward. I mean, when you sat at your desk, were there other people there? Well, there was... um, the um, WCNY folks with the Capitol Press Room, um, Dan Clark from New York Now, and um, I believe I heard Jesse McKinley of the New York Times Voice at one point from his uh, office on what's called the shelf in the LCA uh, offices. It's kind of a two-floor uh, uh, network of, you know, Warrens. <laughs> so... By, by, who knows what's going to happen in Jan, between now and January? Do you anticipate things drastically changing, or do you think it'll go back to the way it was in January? In other well, words, think, the, changes that, the changes that you see now, do you think they'll be permanent? Well, I think from a state politics point of view, um, you know, the governor is going to stay the most powerful guy. His emergency powers will probably last for at least some months. Um, the, you know, the, the state primaries um, just a few weeks away, uh, I don't want to make too many predictions about what the political climate is going to be going into the presidential election. 
but I think chances are that we're going to see, um, you know, the moderate side of the Democratic Party um, emerge pretty well out of that. You know, whatever happens with some of these New York City primaries, um, you know, Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. And once the presidential campaign heats up, I think that's going to be what all, you know, most of what we're all talking about. Um, whatever happens with the state budget, um, you know, Donald Trump is getting reelected um, and it's been a pretty crazy, uh, you know, four years. What did you just say? Don- Donald Trump is running for reelection and it's been a pretty crazy four years. Uh, oh, right, so it, right. it's hard to say, uh, you know, um, how things will turn out. I think we've all been amazed at how, um, how much things have changed but how they still remain very much the same. (laughs) Wow. So um, we have a couple of minutes left. You know, we we haven't talked since March, and I thought I wouldn't be speaking with you again until maybe uh, January. And it's it's such a pleasure to talk to you. And, And... when you were working in the city, did you do a lot of city state stuff? Was everything focused down there? Well, the pandemic has mostly been the governor's show. Um, his daily press briefings have become, you know, a, a national, um, you know, uh, phenomenon. Really, it's it's incredible to see how how he went from a approval rating of 45% or something in late February to, you know, the mid sixties that he's still at a little bit past his peak. It looks like, you know, the Cuomo show at 1130 each day won't last forever, but he's still rising pretty high uh, politically speaking from the pandemic. Uh, despite some of the mm-hmm. kind of press he's done the last couple of weeks. I think his brother also, even though he was ill, I think his brother benefited from this because his profile was also raised, wouldn't you think? Well, I think you have an astute eye for a interesting little sideshow of this whole thing, which is, you know, the, the side characters of the Como family that have been um, highlighted to help support the governor's message. Uh, you know, we've seen his mother, Matilda, the former state uh, first lady, of course, as well as... Um, you know, one of Cuomo's daughters, um, actually on the, on stage with him. And, um, while, you know, she's a, an unpaid volunteer, (laughs) I think it is curious how, um, you know, the, the family dynamic has been used to further, uh, strengthen the governor's political message during these hard times. What do you think, what do you think that is? I mean, he's got, an agenda. What do you think that agenda is? Well, I think right now his agenda is um, probably wait and see in terms of national political opportunities, but um, just, you know, keep trying to be, you know, the big man here in the state. Um, You know, he, some have speculated that the governor has, um, has a psychological need perhaps to win that fourth term that was denied his father to, you know, yeah. we enter the 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 halls of the great governors. You know, uh, DeWitt Clinton and you know Nelson Rockefeller and um, of course Al Smith and Franklin Roosevelt. And you know, another term as governor still you know would be a couple years away. But um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few decades we might be talking about that daughter that, uh, you know, her running for office um, and thinking about the Clinton times back in 2020 when she was just, uh, you know, overseeing the uh, public service announcement contest for the uh, face mask. Right, 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 right. And so in the couple of minutes we have left, you know, I hope we get to speak to each other now a couple of times more before the end of June. But uh, as I say at the end of every show, give yourself a little plug. Well, I'm Zach Williams. I cover uh, state government for city and state. And if you want to keep up with my reporting, just go to Twitter and uh, look for me under Zach with an H Z A C H report. Zach, thank you so much. It, it's been fun talking with you. I hope we talk again, you know, sometime between now and June. So um, thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a wonderful day.